So Money Episode 307, Laura Coe. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Creating opportunities by starting your own business is one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself. However, it can also be overwhelming at times. The secret to getting more done isn't about finding more time, but rather finding the right tools. Our friends at FreshBooks couldn't agree more. FreshBooks has created an amazingly simple invoicing tool designed for small business owners who need to focus on their work, not their paperwork. Oh, and invoicing is only the start. FreshBooks lets you know instantly when your client has viewed your invoice and even imports your expenses directly from your business checking account. Get ready to say goodbye to searching for receipts when it comes to tax time. If you do have questions, just contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real live humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash so money and enter so money in the how did you hear about us section. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Farnish, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4,000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and, and cancer-related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes a lot in common with who you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It's raised over over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was 
life altering, but of course, it's for an amazing, tremendous, and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning, and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the rider that we're riding for, uh, who's riding in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Mm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, All the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Today's guest is an author, blogger, and certified life coach whose mission is to help people shed the emotional weight, keeping them from finding fulfillment. Laura Co. founded Emotional Obesity after undergoing her own struggle. At 35 years old, Laura had everything one could want, according to society. She had a high-powered career, beautiful home and car, healthy bank account, loving spouse, a child, and great group of friends. It was in this moment that Laura realized she was emotionally obese after suffering a buildup of pressure to conform to society's narrow definition of success. So she quit her job and looked into opening a yoga studio, but found that practicing yoga and running a studio were two totally different endeavors. She then returned to her first passion, which was studying philosophy, to help find an answer to her problems. In taking up studying philosophy again, Laura realized that since the dawn of time, philosophers of the East and West have spoken about the importance of health, and it was then that Laura's personal journey, her study of philosophy and development of an effective emotional health and fitness plan, became Emotional Obesity, which is now a book. Three takeaways from our interview. 30,000 feet in the air, bursting into tears, the moment Laura decided to quit her job and change her life forever. Shedding the emotional weight that you're carrying through life. And how to define happiness. It's tricky, but Laura's got a formula. Here is Laura Co. Laura Co. welcome to So Money. Very excited to learn more about emotional obesity. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. How did you arrive at emotional obesity as a concept? It turns out you had your own struggle and journey that led you to this, right? Yeah. Um, So, you know, the idea is really just using the metaphor so that we think about getting in shape physically in the same way that we think about getting in shape emotionally. So, you know, we wake up, we brush our hair, we take a shower, we do all sorts of rituals. Uh, to get started with our day. But what are the rituals? What are the emotional workouts we do for um, our, our, our inner self, right? So that we're not pissed off in a bad mood, getting annoyed by, you know, our spouse and the traffic and all these different things. Yeah. There's so much weight that we carry throughout our lives that how do we shed it? Like, how do you identify that you, first of all, have this going on in your life? What are some signs? Yeah. And so, you know, I was the person who thought I was doing the quote, right thing. I, you know, started a business, it was successful. Um, we sold it and I 
thought I was living a life that made a lot of sense, but I wasn't thinking about what made sense for me. So I started packing on the emotional weight, not knowing it. And I think for a lot of people, the challenge is, you know, how uh, to pay attention to how you feel, not just what um, makes sense in your life as terms of like what I've learned, right? Like I've, I've learned that I should have a house. I learned that I should get married by a certain age, but are those really the things that make you happy? How do you define happiness? I mean, that's got to be a big question that you get all the time, right? Absolutely. Um, That's the thing that's so tricky about happiness is I think we believe in our culture that happiness comes from having this and having that and looking a certain way and stature and all these different things. But I think happiness is very personal. And until I got clear on the idea of happiness being my version of happiness, right? Isn't the same as yours. (laughs) And like, what does it look like for my life to be happy? Um, So I really think about it as what turns you on? What lightens your life? Where do you feel excited? Where does time move quickly? Um, And are you doing those things more often in your life than less often? I mean, we all have stuff we have to do, right? That we don't enjoy. But for some people, the preponderance of their days are spent on things they really dislike um, and they dread them, but they rationalize them. So I think of happiness as when you understand what makes you feel good, light, free, um, alive, and you're doing that most of the time. You talked earlier about how you, you know, had this financial success, business success, yet there was a part of you that was not fulfilled. You weren't happy. What was the moment that changed your life forever. That was at least this light bulb moment that went off that you had the awareness once and for all that something had to change. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was this slow buildup where I was getting more and more and more success. We sold our company. I had a contract as an executive at a fortune 500. I had stock options, all of that stuff. And I wasn't feeling happier. In fact, I was feeling worse. And I actually had a break point when we took the model of our business and we realized it's replicatable into, we were in healthcare, other disease states, and everybody was excited to keep pushing. And I literally felt like I was going to have a panic attack. I was taking Ambien's, I was not sleeping. And I'm like, this can't be the um, way to live a life, uh, for me. Right. So something's just got to change here. Um, so I quit my job. I just, um, I actually was 30,000 feet in the air with my brother on a business trip. I burst into tears. (laughs) He's like my business partner and my best friend. And I said, you know, I I just can't do this anymore. Um, and I set this little intention. I said, you know what, I'm just going to go find something that felt more authentic, which at the time felt like this really small goal, but in fact, um, turned out to be an extremely difficult thing to achieve. What did your brother say to you at that point? You know, did he you know so- it was coming. Did he, did he sort of <laughs> feel it coming? You know, it, the conversation had been percolating in the background, but um, I don't think he anticipated me uh, freaking out on the way home from Denver. But uh, he was really cool about it. You know, there's a reason that we're, we're so close. And he was like, look, the world's a big place right? He loves entrepreneurship. I mean, he was doing exactly what made him happy. Um, so he was like, you know, go find what makes you happy. Do what makes sense. There's, there's a million things out there to do. On your website, you have a, uh, calculator. It's a hop on this. You can hop on the scale and find out your emotional weight. What, as someone who has on the other side of that, looking at all the different weights that we carry around, what tends to be on average, the emotional weight that we are carrying that's 
too heavy. Are we mo- are most are most people um tipping the scale? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I built this thing out of frustration because when I realized I was carrying around all this baggage, I was carrying around all these ideas, the thoughts in my head were weighing me down about how I should live my life. And I dove back into my philosophy and I I like spent years trying to unravel what it meant to have a fulfilled and good life. Um, and then I start did coaching and writing about it. And I'm like, God, there's nowhere to weigh yourself. So I created the scale with the goal of saying, okay, what are the kinds of things that weigh people down? Right. And these are the things that I think are most common, but it was so cool when I built it because we sort of think of a average person being in the weight range around, you know, 150, 180 and a woman, you know, just, just over 120, somewhere in there, right? There's this range, but over 200 starts to get heavy unless you're, you know, a big, huge guy. Um, and the scale actually correlated. So I didn't intend it to be that way. And, uh, yeah, most people, um, um, are definitely carrying weight. And what's super interesting is it's, it's, um, just like physical fitness where, you can have a bunch of things that are a little bit high and causing a lot of trouble in your life, or you can have one thing that's really, you know, messing up your whole life. Like, you know, somebody can be really healthy, jog every day, but, um, uh, be smoking cigarettes or, or doing drugs, right. And that one thing can really cause physical sickness. So it's the same thing with the emotional weight. I noticed just going through some of the questions to determine your emotional weight, a lot has to do with how you, how you view yourself and your self-worth, your value of yourself. And um, that's those are hard questions to answer because uh, while your rational brain might want to say, I strongly agree with the fact that I am someone who is in control of my destiny and I don't care what other people say, but subconsciously maybe you're not behaving in that way and you're not actually thinking that way. So taking the quiz, have you found that it's sometimes – a little more optimistic (laughs) how we value ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. Some people hop on and they are really hard on themselves, which is quite telling. Um, You know, they really aren't as bad as they think they are and they're giving themselves nines and tens on everything. Um, Other people are a little more optimistic and uh, giving it some space, but you know, it is hard. I, I mean, I wish there was a way that we could measure our emotions more tangibly, like just running over to Bed Bath & Beyond and grabbing a scale. Unfortunately, it does require some introspection. And I think if you're having trouble with it, I really recommend to people, you know, get your friends and family to see if they agree. Like there's nothing like a spouse to call you out and say like, oh my God, you're terrible at that, right? Or whatever, to give you some some objective insight. Um, And if you're really struggling, a coach can be great. So before we shift over to the so many questions, I would love for you to share some really quick tips, strategies for having a daily emotional workout routine. Because we talk a lot about on the show about physical routines and um, diets and stress relievers, meditation comes up a lot. What would you say is a, is a good way to kind of relieve yourself of the emotional weight that you're that you're carrying around? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, you know the biggest issue is just becoming aware. Um, I think that I wasn't aware. I thought I'm feeling kind of crappy. So let me just push harder, drink more coffee, you know, (laughs) jump in, be more aggressive. Um, but I actually think our bodies are telling us what's going on. So being aware of how you feel and taking it more seriously and not trying to just man up through it is a huge piece. Um, secondly, accepting the thoughts in the, your head, the things that, um, 
you think about all the time, the narratives that you're playing repeatedly, like a bad song that you listen to from an elevator, right? That just got trapped up there. Um, accepting that they may not, um, be the best thing for you to listen to that even though the voice in your head uses your voice, it sounds like you, right? It doesn't sound like the coach who put it in your head. It doesn't sound like your mother, which would be really helpful. It sounds like you, but to question that, right? To, to, um, worry about where that originated from. Yes. All right. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm saying, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about money. (laughs) Sometimes it's as uncomfortable for some people, but I think for you, it should be, it should come naturally. What would you say, Laura, is your financial philosophy, your money mantra? You know, live within your means. That's to me the most important thing. Um, Money is freedom. Money gives us the opportunity to, you know, do the things that matter that we want to do. Um, So I really feel like living within your means gives you the opportunity to not worry about money. Did you have an experience in your life where maybe you weren't living within your means? How did you learn this? Or I mean, we, it's not like we haven't heard this before, but per, for you, this is very personal, it seems. Yeah. You know, my parents set up this really cool um, parenting uh, teaching moment for my, my brother and I when we were kids. They put... Um, you know, a thousand dollars into a bank account <clears throat> when we were young. Um, and I am 44. So thousand dollars back in the eighties was, was a lot. And I was only 16 years old and my brother kept every penny and just, you know, didn't spend any, he had it. And over time he got to use it for what he wanted. I blew right through it. I was just like, woohoo, I've got a thousand. <laughs> like, I don't even know what it was spent on. It was just crap. And within no time it was empty and there was no extra money going in there. Um, and it really made me realize that as my brother was buying things and things were happening, I was like, what did I do? Right. And I, I'd like to say that that was the moment that changed my life, but I, you know, always enjoyed purchasing and buying things and having fun with money. But, you know, once you buy stuff, it's gone and the pleasure point is gone and it doesn't last. But the stress of not having the money, um, is, you know, something that sits around for a long time. Interesting. Interesting that the two of you then became business partners. How did that play out? What was the financial balance there? Well, we were like a hundred, we were 50, 50 partners. Um, and so, you know, that wasn't the issue, but he was in charge of strategy, finance, sales. And I did the entire development side of the business. Um, and you know, he's very smart about that stuff. He's still to this day, very fiscally conservative. Um, he's gone into another business. He's raised, you know, I don't know, it's worth like 70 million at this point and he's doing big raises. So he's, he's very, uh, financially oriented, but he has taught me over the years, the importance and the value of that. What is, besides this experience of, you know, that thousand dollars that your parents provided you at 16 and you, (laughs) you (laughs) quickly went to spend every penny of that, what would you say it was a pivotal money memory growing up as a kid? What was your introduction to money and your perspectives on money as a child growing up? You know, my father was a professor at the university. We had enough money because, um, you know, he taught within a university, but we never had a lot of money. He worked um, a lot doing speeches, so we got to travel, but only because he was working. And so I got to experience a lot, but, you know, money wasn't just flowing everywhere. And I, I think they did a very good job of teaching us, you know, hard work, 
leads to money, but don't just work for money. He was always doing things that mattered to him. And failure. Let's talk about financial failure. You had a lot of success selling your business, and but along the way, maybe as you were developing your business and becoming an entrepreneur for the first time, were there some missteps? And what would you say was your greatest financial setback? Yeah. I mean, personally or with the business? Well, you know, with entrepreneurs, I find I, I kind of like leave it open-ended. If it's something that you want to talk mm-hmm. about the business that was uh, that overshadows something that happened in your personal life, feel free to share that. Or, or if there was something in your personal life, we're always curious about that too. <laughs> yeah, I think on the on the business side, um, I, you know the the real challenge was we were funding the whole business out of my dad's four hundred one k. It was my dad's intellectual property, and my brother and I took it and brought it across the country. And so um, we were always underfunded, and we were trying to figure out what to do all the time with a very 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 limited amount of cash. And it's. Although on the one hand, it's nice to grow organically, um, it just took forever and it was very stressful every step of the way to think about what we're going to do. And so I think getting some funding early on would have been a really great idea to help uh, push the business forward and not feel stress about money all the time. Um, so, but, you know, personally, when we sold the company, um, I decided to kind of go a little crazy for a while and I you know, bought the car and the house and all the furniture. And I kind of went like on a year long spending spree. And, um, it's kind of the flip side of that coin. I like was sick of scrapping by all the time as a, you know, starving entrepreneur. And I just went kind of nuts. And I realized after an entire year of spending, it, it didn't do that much to make me any happier. It was just, um, it was fun. I love the new gadgets, but they don't, that feeling doesn't last that long. So, right. Yeah, I. Um, but it sounds know, like you binged. I, I binged after being in deprivation. It's like you didn't have carbs for a year, and then you're like pie, yes, totally. <laughs> bread. Totally, totally. Uh, so many correlations we can make in our health and our financial lives. Absolutely. Uh, okay, let's flip it and talk success. What was your so money moment? And in this case, I would like a personal anecdote. Um. Yeah. We. You know, well, I mean, the big so money moment was when we, when we sold our company, right? Like that was, that was like the big, oh my God, we negotiated, we went through the whole process and, and sold it. Um, but, um, for me personally, I think taking the money and putting it into this next new project, um, having the courage to say, I'm going to really bet on myself to write this book and start coaching and, um, build things that are deeply meaningful to me out of my own pocket was, um, you know, a, a really exciting opportunity. And so to, you know, think about what that meant, how much money I'm going to put in and, um, have it succeeding, right. That the book's out there and I'm helping people and, um, you know, making changes in their life has just been extremely rewarding. Where has the book taken you? I mean, sometimes you have this vision of how a book will, it, get you out there and reaching more people, but in some ways you have to just put it out there and then see what happens. What have been some surprising elements to becoming now an author and a thought leader in this space? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Um, you know, I had this vision of a, of a quieter life in certain ways and being an author. Um, what the big 
aha moment was being an author today is the same as being an entrepreneur. Um, you have your book, but nowadays with the bookstores closing, the publishing industry changing, you're really like creating products and around the book ideas. And um, it's not just about the book anymore. So it's, it was really surprising that I needed a platform and a website and, you know, it's, it was, it was creating another business. It's so much work. And it's almost my, my husband and I were having this conversation the other day because you look at some people who make the New York Times bestseller list, which, you know, there's only so many people who can make the list. And you look at how much time and money and energy they put into getting on that stinking list <laughs> for a year. You know, they get the book deal and then the work starts. You know, yep. it's it's like 10% of the project is actually writing the book. And yes. And then 90% is marketing it. And Absolutely. And that really surprised me. It's is and it isn't it a little discouraging as an author, you know, you kind of want to hope that you put the book out there and it will be dis- like in the old days, like people actually mm-hmm. would read it and share it and then would create <laughs> this domino effect, but now you have to literally force it into people's hands and ask them to buy it, not just one, but five copies. Yeah, it's it's very disheartening and it was it's really been a growth opportunity for me because I built things for our company. I mean, uh, we had databases and, and we had huge programs and stuff that I built. Um, and I'm fine with that. But like you said, there's so much marketing. Um, so I thought the hard part was finishing the book. Cause that's all you hear about as a new writer is, you know, just finish the book. Most people don't finish, you know, you've actually written a whole book. Right. But that's like you said, it's the beginning and it's all about marketing and selling and asking people to purchase. And that's what my brother did in our business. And it was, um, very stressful for me to put that hat on and think more like um, a sales strategy entrepreneur than a somebody who develops things. And, than an artist, stuff. a creator, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's yeah. such a creative field that you have to have both sides of your brain working at all times, The mm-hmm. mostly perhaps the, the entrepreneurial side. Habits. Since you are the queen of telling people and sharing with people <clears throat> how to incorporate healthier habits to shed their emotional obesity, their weight. What's the, let's talk about money now in terms of what's one good habit that you practice that helps you with your money, but also maybe even helps you with your emotional well-being as well. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I feel really strongly about this. I, I think everybody's in a different position. So it really, the habits are relative to what's going on in your life right? If you're somebody who's paycheck to paycheck, then I think checking your accounts and making sure that you're not going over and you haven't spent more than you, than you earn. Um, for me, I got this one bulk payment from selling my company. And for me, it became all about strategizing where I wanted to be in 30 years, um, sitting down with a financial planner and making sure, okay, if I do this book, if I put money in, um, and spend this amount of money, uh, what does that look like over the next few years? And what do I need to earn? So for me, it's all been about making sure I don't have the anxiety and stress about money in my life because I've been careless and not really paying attention, having fun in my 40s and waking up in my 60s and saying, oh my God, what did I do, right? Like I'm broke and in my 60s and I have to start over. So um, that's the big thing for me is strategizing, making sure I'm paying attention to uh, uh, the investments, where the 
money is making money. And if it's not making money, making the changes I need to make and, and thinking about that, which is, it's very complicated to, uh, to deal with. How much time do you spend on that? And do you have people who help you with it? I try not to spend time on a regular basis because I think the worst thing you can do with um, the markets is stare at them all the time because they fluctuate and it gives people a lot of anxiety. And I think that, um, you know, you can start panicking and saying, I need to sell and buy and you do things that are irrational. Um, and you want to be in it for the long haul. So I try not to look constantly, but I do sit down every quarter, uh, look at the investments, what they've done. Uh, think about the brokerage house. Um, my brother is a big help in this because he's passionate about the subject, but I also talk to the investment planner that, um, we work with to, uh, to go through it with him as well. All right, Laura, are you ready for some so money fill in the blanks? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So you've already, um, done so well financially in your life, but let's say you had a surprise visit from publisher's clearinghouse and they were like, Hey, you just won a hundred million dollars or Powerball, you know, your Powerball lottery ticket somehow landed you at the top. What would you, the first thing I would do is if I won the lottery, the first thing I would do is. I would give more time and money to things that mattered to me. I would think it would be so much fun if you had that kind of money to just go find things that were exciting, that you thought were interesting, that needed funding and to be part of it. I think that'd be a blast. Yeah. Being able to help people yeah. in how you want to help them and not necessarily having to donate to charity, although there are a lot of wonderful charities out there, but to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go directly to the people I want to help and just give them resources and money. I think that's. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always fantasized if I did too, I'd want to like pay off all my friends mortgages and things. Like wow. That. <laughs> hey, all right. I'm rooting for you to win that lottery. <laughs> One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is. I'm really passionate about healthy food. Um, I, had a chronic illness when I was in my late teens and twenties and I cured myself with, uh, with just cleaning up my diet completely. So, um, I love being able to go to the store and just buy very high quality, you know, delicious food and not feel uh, stressed out about it. When I splurge, I like to buy X. I am such a, fan of an incredible vacation. I mean, I like to take all of our annual budget for <laughs> a vacation and use it all at one incredible luxury hotel um in, in you know for a week or two and instead of spending it all over the place. I I'm I, I'm I'm a complete sucker for a beautiful hotel. Have you taken your annual vacation this year? We haven't. Um, All right. We, well, you we only got like eight weeks left or less than I, that. You know, I'm in Chicago, so I always wait for February when it's, oh. when it's brutal. <laughs> That's a good time to go. It's a great time to go to the Caribbean. Yeah. and. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is? Um, so like I said, my parents were pretty good about teaching us about the, the you know, basics about money itself. But investing in yourself, right? Like I think um, money, it, it's important to save for a rainy day, but it's really important to invest in your future. Um, we put our money in the stock, stock markets or uh, into the bank, or we invest into houses and cars, but investing into your own skill sets, uh, growing as a person and developing new things, um, you know, I think that's really important and something I've learned. And when I donate, I like to give to blank because... 
I give to the human rights uh, group because um, they've really helped our family. We're in a same-sex family, and um, I think the work they've done has been tremendous. And I'm Laura Coe. I'm so money because <laughs> <laughs> I know this is uh, – you either love this question or you dread it. <laughs> um, you know, I think that um, – the goal is to get to do what you love, right? So mm-hmm. I just feel that I'm so fortunate and lucky to have the opportunity to do what I love, help other people. And I think that's just the, the winning combination. Well, thank you for the work that you do. It's so needed. And and you have this take on our it's really the imbalance that we have in life and not that we're striving for balance, but we're striving for fulfillment, for happiness, for feeling like we are you know, contributing in an important way. And I love that you are helping us with all of that. And I'm going to take that quiz on your website and I'll let you know how I did. What's my (laughs) emotional baggage weighing? (laughs) Awesome. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much and wishing you great continued success with the book and all that you're doing. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for having me on. To learn more about Laura, her website is emotionalobesity.com. She's also on Twitter at Laura, S-C-O-E, Co. This interview, as well as the transcript and comments available at somoneypodcast.com, where you can also click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions. Every Friday, I turn the tables and make the show about you and your thoughts and your concerns on the Ask Farnoosh segments. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hope your day is so money. So money.